to Between the Times, a podcast of Christchurch Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. This is episode 81, and I'm here with our pastor, um, Dr. John Payne, and also with our director of discipleship, uh, Michael Bauer. One of the things that we're also here to discuss is one of the recent, you can say, activities or ministries of Christchurch, which is known as the Dead Theologian Society. Some of you watch movies know what the pun is about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for John, I want to ask the question, what were you trying to, I guess, emphasize in giving the name to a new men's Bible or book club called the Dead Theologian Society? Yeah, so as you uh, alluded to, Gabe, it is a, a kind of a, a playful uh, name that harkens back to that um, the movie, The Dead Poet Society, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, wanting to get guys together uh, in a fairly informal setting. We've been meeting at a uh, kind of fun low country restaurant in Mount Pleasant and uh, just enjoying um, fellowship together, uh, getting to know one another better, uh, cultivating deeper friendships in the Lord, uh, and then doing it also around uh, a good book, uh, okay. something particularly from from the past. You know, In our purpose statement about the Dead Theologian Society, we not only talk about cultivating good Christian friendships, uh, which is something that sometimes we don't take time to do, which we really need to, um, but we also emphasize, of course, the need uh, to read good Christian literature from the past, uh, from the church fathers, like uh, men like Augustine, mm-hmm. Um, I hope that we'll be able to read his confessions in the future. Uh, we've got uh, the Puritans, of course, and right now we're, of course, reading a, a book by John Owen, uh, published in 1657, called Communion with God, a very influential book in my own life, uh, in my early days as a Christian. And then, you know, we, we may as well look at uh, some of the more modern classics, modern, namely in 20th century, um, a lot of good stuff coming out of Princeton and and elsewhere in the early 20th century. Early 20th century, that appearance, <laughs> Princeton. Can I just make that <laughs> emphasis? Yeah, 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 late 19th, uh, early 20th. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much uh, what we've been wanting to do, Gabe. And, um, and also, of course, we, the name Dead Theologian Society harkens uh, to uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4, in the so-called Hall of Faith, mm-hmm. where it speaks of Abel. And it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, uh, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so there's something of solid uh, Christian literature uh, of men and women of the past that their writings still speak to us today in very profound ways and oftentimes in a more unclouded way than many write today because of modern culture and all of the distractions and influences that we uh, have to navigate that they didn't. Um, That's correct. I also think of one of the things that we confess in the church is we believe in the communion of the saints. And when you make that confession, you're making a statement of your essential unity with those who have gone on before you. 
and you're also making a statement that the teachers of the church are not just plopped down today. <laughs> the teachers of the church have been around since, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament to the current era. But the point is that when you read old works, such as the one we're doing uh, among the brothers in the communion of God, you are seeing the Holy Spirit work in the hearts of other people from other ages. And therefore, it is a gift to the church. It's a gift to all of us. And so when you neglect reading those timeless classic works that have been passed down, you are cutting yourself off from some of the best wisdom that God has gifted throughout the ages. Yeah, I think uh, J.I. Packer in his uh book on the Puritan vision for the Christian life, A Quest for Godliness, mm -hmm. said that the Puritans are like uh, redwoods mm -hmm. in the forest. And if you've ever been to, to Northern California and mm -hmm. seen the redwoods, you know that they are absolutely enormous and uh, they look like they're from some other planet. Mm -hmm. And the Puritans, when you begin to read them and read them mm -hmm. deeply, you realize that uh, there is a, a depth mm -hmm. to their piety that is, in my opinion, uh, rarely known uh, mm -hmm. or experienced today right. and that's because we've replaced uh, biblical worship with entertainment we've mm -hmm. replaced biblical ministry with consumeristic approaches to the Christian faith uh, what is it that you want you know uh, praise bands and programs uh, mm -hmm. is what so many are are, are chiefly concerned about uh, rather than uh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ Amen. Yeah. Uh, so the Puritans, are, and that's just one group from the 17th century that uh, demonstrated this kind of rich piety. So on Tuesday night, when we uh, gather together at uh, Grace and Grit, uh, that wonderful little restaurant in Mount Pleasant, uh, nine of us were there uh, to not only enjoy each other's company and to get to know each other better. I personally got to know a couple of the guys there for the first time, really, and uh, it was really wonderful to do that. Uh, we also opened up John Owen's 1657 classic, Communion with God, uh, which, uh, as a book, unpacks, uh, the, the, um, uh, unpacks the, the doctrine of God in his triune nature and how we are called to relate to God as Trinity. We are, as Christians, fundamentally Trinitarians. Yes. And so when we relate to the Father, we relate to him in the way that he's revealed himself to us in Scripture. When we relate to the Son... We relate to him as he has uh, uh, revealed himself to us in Scripture. And when we relate to the Holy Spirit, we relate to how he has revealed himself in Scripture. And so, uh, yes, God is the one true God, but he's also Trinity. And so when we have communion with God, we, we, we worship the Father through the mediation of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and on we can go. That just can be unpacked. And, and Owen is unpacking that. Uh, isn't he for us? And, and chapters 5 through 7, uh, we have him unpacking a fellowship with Jesus Christ and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And oh, how he points us to the loveliness of Christ and the deep love that Christ has for his church. Let's, uh, brothers, let's unpack uh, that a little bit and, um, and, and give a little bit to our listeners of what we uh, enjoyed on Tuesday night. Sure. So when I... Think about the actual, uh, I'm here in chapter 5 of the book where it speaks about fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One of the things that Owen immediately points out is the idea of thinking of fellowship as dining with someone, setting a feast before someone. So mm. 
I grew up in a culture where the people that you invited to your house and you cooked a good meal for are the people who are clearly very close to you. These are these are not strangers. These are not people who walk off the street. <laughs> these are people who you bring into your home, you love them, and because you love them, you sit with each other across the table, you share a good meal, and you rejoice in the fact that you have friends who love, care, and you share life with one another, as kind of the modern people would say today. <laughs> so when you, you think of that analogy in terms of the Christian life, consider the fact that it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who invites us to come and to dine with him, which means the table has already been set. It means that he has already done all that was necessary for us to sit at the same table. And that's itself a profound reality, that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, has prepared a table for sinful people like us to mm-hmm. sit down and to enjoy fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. And he has done all that is necessary to do. He has already paid the price with his own blood, which means the meal is already purchased, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And more than that, he is constantly extending himself, you can say in human language, extending himself to bring sinful people like us who are very prone to keep God at a distance. He's telling you, come sit and dine. And the reality is, that is what the Son of God is to us in that relationship. He's not distant. The scriptures say that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. And what do you do with brothers? You sit, you rejoice, and you love each other. And mm. that's the first major kind of nugget I get from a chapter 5. It's just that reality that the Son of God is not distant. He is the Son of God in his nature. And we are adopted as sons of God uh, in Christ Jesus. And so we are brothers. We are in fellowship with one another. And mm-hmm. that's something worth rejoicing in, in and of itself. Amen. Yeah, I mean, it, jumping off of that, Owen says um, on, on page 39 of our book that Christ calls the good things that he has for his saints a feast, a wedding, a feast of fat things with good wine. The fatted calf is killed for their entertainment. Such is the communion, and such is the mutual entertainment of Christ and his saints in that communion. Christ mm. has set the table for us, has killed the fatted calf for us, uh, calls us to himself, and, and bids us come and, and taste and see that the Lord is good, right? That's, um, that's the great mm. the calling um, of, of the Christian is a call to come and die. Yes, come and die to yourself, but also to come and dine, mm. dine with Christ. Mm. You know, one thing that comes through uh, is um, the way the Bible reveals Christ to us and calls us to relate to him is so different than what we often hear. Mm-hmm. And, and in particular, what we often hear um, uh, caricatured about the Puritans. Mm-hmm. You, know, you ask your average college graduate walking down the street who were the Puritans you say oh well they were a bunch of grumpy guys who you know never smiled and he wanted to kill witches yeah. uh, in New England and uh, that is such a mischaracterization of, of the Puritans um, while there are always bad eggs in every movement mm-hmm. uh, the Puritans were those who took very seriously the word of God mm-hmm. who took piety very seriously who took worship very seriously um, and and so 
it's wonderful here how Owen, uh, on the bottom of page 39, and um, in his book, Communion with God, he writes, The Lord Christ is compared to all that is most glorious and beautiful in his creation. He is, in the heavens, as glorious as the sun and as the bright morning star. Mm-hmm. Among the beasts, he is like the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Among the flowers, Christ is as beautiful as, and as glorious as the rose of the lily. He is like the rose for the sweetness of its perfume and like the lily for its beauty. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But Christ is more than an ordinary rose. He is the rose of Sharon. Sharon was a fruitful plain where the best herds were fed. The plain of Sharon was so beautiful and so fruitful that it is promised to the church that there shall be given to it the glory of Sharon. Mm -hmm. This fruitful plain no doubt grew the most precious roses. Christ in the beauty of his love and in his righteousness is like this excellent rose, drawing the hearts of his saints to him. As God smelled a soothing aroma from the blood of Christ's atonement, so from the graces with which he is anointed by God for his people, his saints receive a refreshing, lovely scent of a soothing aroma. The scent of a soothing aroma symbolizes all that is acceptable and delightful. So here you have this very expressive, intimate language uh, communicated to us by the word of God as Christ is is in these terms revealed to us in Scripture. He's not just fire insurance that mm-hmm. you put in your back pocket with his signature on it. Mm-hmm. He, he, is, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the, the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He, mm-hmm. um, he is the bright and morning star. And, and these are ways that we can affectionately not only re- relate to him in our hearts, but also in our prayers and in mm-hmm. our conversations uh, express our love to him. Amen. What if you go back to kind of what you've read, I always think about what those metaphors mean. So think of the lily mm-hmm. of the valley and you think of uh, even if you do a kind of a uh, analogy of that today, consider a valley as being a place that you tend to think is dark and kind of gloomy in effect. But there is the most pure, glorious lily in the midst of a valley in which there's not much else there. So on one side, you get the description of looking at Christ as being the most glorious thing in the midst of a world that is yes. disgusting in a lot yes. of ways. Yes. But then you get the rose of Sharon, which is not that same exact picture. Even the beauty of this world doesn't compare to the rose that grows in that field. Yeah. So we sing this song relatively often at Christ Church, Fairish Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's the same type of uh, idea. So fair are the meadows, fair are still the woodlands robed in the blooming garb of spring. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is fairer. Mm-hmm. Jesus is purer who makes the woeful heart to sing. Amen. And so you think of that picture, that is what communion of God is. That's what communion with the mm-hmm. Son of God is, realizing that he is more beautiful than the best that this world can offer, and he is still beautiful in the worst of sufferings and trials of this present age Amen. as well. And this is reminding us that Jesus is not a doctrine. Amen. He's a person to be loved, admired, worshipped, hmm. uh, contemplated, uh, to be the song of our hearts. And that's really what Owen's getting at. And uh, regarding him being a lily of the valley, uh, Owen writes, quote, of all flowers, this is the most beautiful, Matthew mm-hmm. 6, 29. Mm-hmm. 
So Christ is most desirable for the beauty and perfection of his person. It's not, Christ is not just his work mm-hmm. for you. Amen. Christ is not just the redemptive work he's done for you. He is a person. He's the son of God and he is most beautiful. He, Owen says, quote, he is incomparably fairer than the children of men. Christ, who is to his people, one who abundantly satisfies all their spiritual senses, who is their refreshment, their beauty, their delight, their glory, goes on to tell his people what they are to him. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Mm -hmm. So here's Christ calling us Mm -hmm. lilies among thorns. Mm -hmm. Amen. um, Because of his love and delight for us as those who are washed in the blood and have been forgiven and are robed in his righteousness. Uh, Christ's banner over us is love, and our only response to that should be a grateful, loving heart that admires and cherishes him. This, this, this is the Christian life. It's cherishing the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he's not just someone you think about from time to time on Sunday morning. He's not just a doctrine. He's not just his work to save you. He is worthy of our attention and our devotion and our praise. Amen. Yeah, along with that, um, Owen then goes on to to describe Christ as the shade which gives comfort and shelter Mm -hmm. to his people. Um, He says that on on page 42 of of this book, uh, Communion with God, Christ shelters from outward wrath and gives comfort for inner weariness. Uh, He says that uh, the first use of the shade is to protect us from the heat of the sun, as did Jonah's gourd. When the heat of God's wrath is ready to scorch the soul, Christ shades the soul from its heat. Mm-hmm. Under the shadow of his wings we sit down quietly, safely, because we put our trust in him. And all this we do with great delight. Who can describe the joy of a soul safely sheltered from wrath by the covering of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus? Mm-hmm. He is our, our great comforter. Right? I mean, that uh, we, we are, are uh, shaded from the, the scorch uh, of the soul, right, that, of God's wrath. And, and, and faithful Reformed worship mm. is reinforcing the centrality of the gospel, right? Mm. Yes. The word faithfully preached <coughs> is that which will herald the person and the loveliness and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ and the work that he has performed on behalf of his people. The word preached faithfully from Genesis to Revelation, that is preached. And then, of course, at the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the cleansing blood of Christ is preached. The centrality of the gospel is preached. And that's why Owen can say in this same chapter, quote, The grace shown by Christ in his ordinances, namely the preaching of the word and sacraments and prayer, is refreshing, strengthening, and full of comfort to the souls of of the saints. Woe to such souls who loathe these honeycombs. Mm. But in this way, Christ makes all his assemblies banqueting houses. There he gives his saints rich entertainment. How can we neglect so great a banquet Mm. that takes place on the Lord's Day when God's people gather around word and sacrament. That is to be the very central place of our piety and our discipleship and our growth as believers. And um, 
And so why is it that, in my opinion, so many Christian believers are, are unhealthy in their walks with the Lord, why they are extremely distracted from Christ, why they are prayerless, why uh, they have no time for devotions, why the Lord's Day has become shopping day and consumer day, mm-hmm. entertainment day, football day. Mm-hmm. It's because they've taken their eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the rose mm-hmm. that's more beautiful than any of the other flowers in the garden, mm-hmm. who is the lily in the valley, who is the shade that brings us comfort and blessing, who has provided a feast for us. We've just, we've literally taken our eyes off of him and we've, we've sought out other loves. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to recognize if or when we are doing that and repent and turn back. And some of our listeners may be caught up in a web of worldliness, of secret sin, of, of believing the lies of Satan, that there are more beautiful flowers in the garden than Christ, more beautiful animals in the jungle than the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. It's time to reconsider and recognize that nothing is more beautiful and lovely and satisfying Amen. to the Christian believer than the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things I'll add also, and this is to me very helpful, is John Owen in a number of places kind of shows you how older Christians used to understand their Bible or how they used <laughs> to read the <laughs> Old Testament. <laughs> And so one of the persistent themes in most of the book at this point is seeing the relationship between Christ and the church as being as intimate as the husband-wife relationship. And therefore, the analogies that are used often are coming from the Song of Solomon. And if you, you, again, we all read Song of Solomon in our yearly Bible reading, but it's tempting just to kind of read past it and not meditate upon the intimacy that's meant to be conveyed there. And so there are numerous times in which in chapter six and chapter seven, it's described how Jesus himself is both white in terms of his glorious, uh, in terms of his glory, in terms of his majesty, yet, and he uses the reference kind of like to the Shulamite, that he's also ruddy. And that picture of ruddy is giving the picture of basically being blood drenched in a sense mm. now that's a for a lot of modern people that's a difficult jump <laughs> in logic to see that but that is how older christians understood the old testament it wasn't just the history of a distant people it's your history and you're meant to see christ throughout the scriptures and one can could bring i think it's fair to say one can bring critique to yeah. an overly sure. allegorical interpretation yeah, yeah. of scripture mm-hmm. however i think what your point is that you're making is that they were looking for Christ yeah. in the pages of the Old Testament, and it wasn't just a, you know a do this and do that, yeah, exactly. or a moralistic approach. Yeah, it's not just a book of morals. It's mm-hmm. meant for you to see the glory of Christ in various different, you know, as the confession says, types, shadows, and other uh, types of pictures. The other reference that you see often is Proverbs nine about wisdom, mm-hmm. and if you just consider an hour a day how much people are seeking for wisdom in various different places and often the wisdom of this world as it's being told to us is is separated from christ separated from the gospel and separated from the things of god and one of the points owen makes is just as the christ is the rose of sharon the most beautiful rose in the field the wisdom that comes through christ is therefore far exceeding 
anything this world itself can offer. Amen. And so the exhortation that Owen is going to give the Christian is why seek all these other loves and also why seek all this other carnal worldly yeah. wisdom yeah. there? Because in Christ, as Colossians says, you have the wisdom and knowledge of God. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So that means, in effect, why would you spend your time diving in and investing your heart, soul, and mind to things that are lower in quality than who Christ is in himself? Amen. That the pop Christian subculture makes mm -hmm. a big to-do uh, about um, you know so many things, but not that. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> and really, it's, it makes a big deal about us yeah. because that's what's going to sell, right? All the yeah. Christian self-help stuff and uh, you know the Christian fiction world and, mm -hmm. and and all these things. But you know, why is it that we need to get back to reading the Puritans? For this very reason, mm -hmm. uh, because of the kinds of quotes that you're hearing us read, I would mm -hmm. venture to say you're not reading those kinds of things in modern day Christian literature very often. Uh, mm -hmm. It's still there, yeah. but a lot of modern Christian publishers will will not be interested in, in, mm -hmm. in publishing these kinds of things. Yeah. Right. I think uh, this book just sort of blows up any misconceptions we might have about Puritans as being these cold, distant, um, just heady theologians. Mm -hmm. Uh, in chapter 6, Owen spends a lot of time exhorting his readers. Um, he has words specifically addressed to people who are young, um, who are full of health and strength, and who are chasing after some beloved ambition or beloved pleasure, on page 52. Mm. He says to them, Stop and consider, what are all your beloveds compared to Christ, the true beloved? Mm. So he, he calls his, his readers, uh, his hearers, to examine themselves, to stop and, and think about how they are treating Christ by the way that they're acting. Uh, he says a little later in that same paragraph, Why do you spend your time in idleness mm. and foolishness, wasting your precious time? Mm. Why associate with those who scoff at religion and the things of God? And then he, he hammers it home by saying, You only do this because you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So he, even in the midst of, of, of calling his, his uh, readers to bask in the glories of Christ, to dine um, upon Christ and with Christ, uh, he is calling them to faith and repentance and saying, uh, you, you're spending your life in idleness. Uh, you need Jesus. <laughs> uh, you need to come to Jesus. And so this is a, a question for John. One of, the, one of the ways you can probably misconstrue what Owen is saying is, all right, I come to be convinced that I should come to know Christ and have communion with him. The question is how? Is it kind of the unmediated way that kind of modern, more mystical people would say in which you go to your prayer closet and you have your kind of personal communion of God? Or does Owen point to a more stable and you can say more clear scriptural way of doing that? Yeah, I mean... I think we discussed this a little bit on, on Tuesday night, that there are two major pitfalls mm -hmm. as we look at the history of Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that you neglect the objective means of grace, mm -hmm. uh, that the, the preaching and the sacraments, uh, the public assemblies uh, where you have the means of grace and the elders there and accountability that really that's kind of shunned and the real fellowship you have with God is is by yourself. 
mm-hmm. in the closet. Now, we do have fellowship with God by ourselves. Amen. I, I think you guys did like I did this morning. Mm-hmm. Got up, read your Bible, uh, spent some time in prayer. Uh, I had fellowship with God. So did you. But um, that, without the church, leaves us in a bad place. That's right. And we need that which Christ says we need. Mm-hmm. And what we need is the church. And what we need is the faithful preaching of the word. Because I'm not going to preach to myself when I'm having a quiet time the same way that someone who's done a careful exposition and is concerned for my soul to feed me and to rebuke me and correct me. It's going to be a different thing mm-hmm. when that happens. Right. Um, I'm going to grade myself on a curve oftentimes in my quiet time. But preacher coming... Is gonna is gonna give me the truth, which mm-hmm. I need, which is gonna sting sometimes too, right? Mm-hmm. I can't have the Lord's Supper at home. Do we believe the Lord's Supper is a vital part of our Christian piety and yes. pointing us to Christ? Yes. Well, absolutely, yes. we do. So there are those who would actually say, you know, because of various theological errors or even personal experiences that they've had in in, in unhealthy churches, they've distance themselves from what Christ himself says we need. Mm-hmm. It's bad. So that's that's one ditch. Reject the objective means of grace of word and sacrament. Then there's the other ditch, which is see church membership and baptism and the Lord's Supper as primarily as really all you need to do is just be present, not really exercising any faith, you know, not really seeking growth in the Lord, and you're just trusting in the the objective means themselves without the exercising of true faith and sincere mm-hmm. worship. So, you go to church, you've got your church membership, you're baptized, you come to the Lord's table, you're safe mm-hmm. because those things are going to do what they're going to do, and. I can just live my life just in whatever way I want, as long as I just kind of keep up with that, go to the confessional and all that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm touching upon some Roman Catholic <laughs> ideas, but you can even bring those over into an evangelical church and think, mm-hmm. if I just go through the motions and I check something off the list, mm-hmm. as long as I'm doing these objective things, I don't really need to engage with my faith and, 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 and vital Christian uh, piety. But what we need is to reject both of those and say, what we need is... Uh, we need the means of grace and we need by God's grace and by his spirit to exercise sincere faith in Christ Mm -hmm. as we appropriate those means of grace. So when the word is preached, I'm worshiping Christ, I'm receiving this truth, I'm abiding in him, I'm trusting in him as he's being preached. As I come to the table, I'm abiding in Christ, I'm I'm repenting of my sin, I'm trusting in the work that he has accomplished for me, I'm remembering my baptism, Mm -hmm. I'm trusting in the blood of Christ, I'm coming to the Lord in prayer. And so these, so I I am both appropriating, uh, I'm living by faith in these means that God himself has given me for me to fellowship with Christ. So you said it earlier, Gabe, this unmediated, mm-hmm. you know, God speak to me, God mm-hmm. whisper something to mm-hmm. me type of approach, this sloppy evangelical approach, mm-hmm. it needs to be rejected. Mm-hmm. We need to embrace the objective, faithful proclamation of the word by ordained pastors and then come to the table to have that faith confirmed at the Lord's table and then we go and live our Christian lives in the power of the Spirit. That is the, the biblical way, which we see the apostles encouraging. And one of the things I'll just add to that is 
one of the other mischaracterizations of Puritans and then Reformed and among Reformed people as a whole is the belief that we don't really consider the work of the Holy Spirit. But if you read anything else from Owen, including this current book, and Calvin's work, etc., you'll see that the Holy Spirit is central to how there is communion between us on earth as sinful people and Christ who is in heaven. It is Christ's Spirit sent uh, to us, and that is how we actually have true abiding communion. And so that means the Holy Spirit's work is vital. It's not just unmediated, you just grab at something, so to speak. Yes. But the reality is that it is through the sending of the Holy Spirit to the church, the gifts given to the church, and etc., through which we have this vital, beautiful communion. So we are united to Christ uh, by faith through the Spirit, but then that union is further confirmed, you can say, by the active work of the Holy Spirit and the communion we have with Christ. I'm always uncomfortable with prayers mm -hmm. that end with simply amen and mm -hmm. not in Jesus' name, right. mm -hmm. amen. Mm -hmm. We don't say in Jesus' name, amen, simply because of traditional reasons. We say mm -hmm. it because we believe in the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. that we come to God the Father through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Yes, so right. it's getting at some of what you were just saying. When we say, Lord, thank you for this day, bless this person, that person, uh, help me today, amen. Mm -hmm. You're missing something. We don't rush into the presence of God the Father. Right. We come through the blood and righteousness of right. Jesus Christ. So the very way we pray is reinforcing a theology of, mm -hmm. of worship and a theology of salvation. That's right. Yeah, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, uh, I'll do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's through his blood that we have access to the throne room. Right? Yeah. It's book of Hebrews. And that's why one of the beautiful pictures and also in terms of Owen's writing one of the reasons that we find Christ to be beautiful is because he is the mediator, period. There's no other mediator yes. beyond Christ. Not Mary. Not Mary. Not, not your any, pastor. Pastor and the saints. saints. Yeah. <laughs> it is Christ who is our mediator. Mm -hmm. And realizing that he is our mediator, that's when we see his lovingness most gloriously shown. Because, again, it's easy to have a mediator if you brought something good to the table, right? right? But we know what we confess is that there's within us there's no good thing. And on a daily basis, we demerit everything we should get, in effect. But the reality is that it's Christ himself as the mediator. And that work of mediation is what exalts him in the hearts of his people. Is that we can go to the throne room of grace because of that blood. And it's called the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, because of Christ. And that's worth rejoicing, and that's why he is fairer than anything else that we can set our heart upon. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And really, we could maybe even make that better. It probably wouldn't sound as good, but you know, <laughs> we do bring something. We bring our sins. Sin we bring our, our, our wretched sins and unrighteousness and the innumerable ways that we've transgressed God's law and mm -hmm. failed to conform to it. Uh, so that's what we have to offer. You know, if mm -hmm. the whole, all of humanity were to get around a big giant table and say, all right, what do we have to offer the Lord? All we would be able to pull out of our pockets and our suitcases is sin, uh, filthy rags. Right. And uh, our only hope is Christ. 
uh, the Lamb of God who laid his sinless, spotless, perfect life down as an atoning uh, sacrifice and, and righteous substitute for our salvation. Amen. The end of chapter 7 on page 60, he, uh, John Owen concludes his uh, discussion on communion with, God, uh, communion with Christ and his graces and says, Let us then receive Christ in all his excellencies and glories as he gives himself to us. Frequently think of him by faith, comparing him with other beloveds, such as sin, the world, and legal righteousness. Then you will more and more prefer him above them all, and you will count them all as rubbish in comparison to him. And let your soul be persuaded of Christ's sincerity and willingness to give himself to you, and all that he is to be yours forever. And let us give up ourselves wholeheartedly to him. Let us tell Jesus that we will be for him and not for another. Let him hear this from us. He delights to hear it from our lips. And Christ says, your voice is sweet to my ears and your face is beautiful in my eyes. And so Owen concludes, are we going to disappoint Christ by neglecting this communion with him? Mm. And so I think that's a summary of what these three chapters are referencing the marriage relationship between Christ and his church what is prepared by Christ for us the fact that Christ doesn't look down upon us but loves and rejoices in his people I don't think that that any of us sitting at this table had the idea when we were getting married to our to our bride that she would entertain other lovers mm-hmm. And Christ yeah. entertains no other lovers yeah. uh, uh, that, that we might want to embrace. And yeah. so that's the Christian life, isn't it? It's, it's making sure that Christ is our first love because he first loved us. That's right. Yeah. All right. So if you haven't uh, picked up this book before, if you are interested in much more uh, this is communion with god coming from the banner of truth trust from john owen but it's a wonderful book it's worth reading multiple times and sitting and meditating through it but again uh, it's a wonderful book uh, please pick it up and read and we thank you for spending time with us on between the times mm-hmm.